This is a time particularly maybe for children who are counting down the days to unwrap gifts. Some of us have the days counted. Some of us have the hours counted to the T, but it's great expectation. It is wonderful to unwrap a gift and love it for it to be right on, whether it was exactly what you wanted or an incredible surprise that you did not expect. However, it is really difficult when you get a gift that it is disappointing and you just have to fake it and go, oh, thank you. You should have had. Often, uh, gifts that are functional, when you say this is something very practical, I know that you need, that's a setup that you may not like it. <laughs> functional gifts. I like a vacuum. I like a good vacuum. And I want a good vacuum when I need it, but don't give me one in Christmas time. Most of us, not all, but most of us will like the, I don't know, food processor, microwave. I get it. But there's a time for those functional gifts, and I don't think it's Christmas time. Just in case? I don't know. No, this is not about me. So don't be that person. No. Don't be that person to give to another those kind of... And if you did, you got refunds. Go return it. You got time. That's the message for today. Let me try and redeem this part. <laughs> Research on human behavior and psychology verifies that wrapping of gifts designates the object as more special, as, as clearly special. It change, changes the object from really good, but once it's wrapped and you are to give it, it the, the value of it just goes to a different level. There's something about wrapping the gift or putting in the gift bag. I mean, there's something about hiding its, its identity until just the right moment to open it. One of my favorite things to do during Advent season is to put a few gifts under the tree to torture my two daughters. Um, there are some under the tree already since December 1st, and I put it in a position that I can tell when it has been moved. <laughs> right? Yep. Um, There's something about unwrapping a gift at the right moment. And when it's awful, it's just awful. But when it's the right thing at the right moment, it's a very special moment for the giver and for the one in the receiving end. My husband, David, has a great memory of a Christmas gift his parents gave to him when he was 13 years old. I didn't know him, obviously, at that time, so the fact that I know it tells you how memorable because he shared that with me. He received a savings 
account book. <laughs> Generation X and those prior to me, Generation X, you may remember this. Do you remember that? Generation Z, maybe millennials and on, you're wondering what this is. So this is how we kept track of our savings. I was raised with that. So David tells us that he was given this on Christmas. He was 13 years old. And it was wrapped, not really, but an envelope, especially a signed envelope. And he know, eventually, after he dried his tears, um, <laughs> he realized that the account had already opened up with $100, but the but, the, but it was in the bank. It's not like he had the $100. I know. <laughs> Therapy. It, it clearly was a memory for him of these kind of functional gifts because he tells us he kept, um, as many children do, waking up in the middle of the night trying to peek to see what Santa brought. And in the morning, he was surprised because he didn't see a wrapped box. Eventually, he sees an envelope and, um, and he cried. So this is false advertisement. This is not what children, actually many kids, um, how they responded um, for a functional good gift, just I think not the right timing to give a 13-year-old. So I want today to revisit an Advent story centered in the word, highlighting a particular person in biblical times who receives a message, becomes a gift, an unexpected one. Then it turns out that this person becomes part of a story unfolding or unwrapping the way of God preparing to fulfill a promise of God self-incarnated in Jesus, the Son of God. So today I want to focus in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. The focus is on God and Joseph. I hope that you can remember this story. Perhaps you are familiar with this story, and yet I just hope that you can reflect just a little deeper, a little longer. God and Joseph. Joseph becomes a major figure for the Advent season, and this is one of those stories that tells you why. So let us read Matthew chapter 1 verses 18 through 25, and it reads like this. Now, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned 
to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him, not Joseph Jr., Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And the prophecy is, look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had born a son. And he named him Jesus. Amen. In ancient time, to be engaged signified a binding arrangement, legally. One more step is to be done, yes, which is why they weren't living in the same setting or home. But in that context, engagement meant legally arranged together. There's a pact, there's a covenant. So as Mary appears to have had an act or have stepped in an act of betrayal, for Joseph and Mary to continue was actually a way of dismissing the law. Because an act of betrayal, according to the law, the religious law, meaning also including God's will into that law, allowed for two things to happen, justified by the law. Death for Mary or divorce granted by Joseph. She could be sent to her father's house, as the law indicated, and if it was decided upon the, the, the committee, the, the leaders, she could be stoned to death. And if divorced, it would have to be done in a public way to characterize her as a person without dignity. The Gospel of Matthew includes the word righteous to describe Joseph. I read, Joseph was a righteous man. When you look at the original text of the Matthean Gospel, the word righteous means one to live by the law. One to live by the law, which also means religious law, which then means God's will incorporated into the culture. A righteous person meant that he or she lived by the law. And Joseph was a righteous man. 
So he lived according to the law. That is why he was planning to dismiss her. So it sounds like he was going for the divorce track. He was going to dismiss her. Interestingly, though, he wants to dismiss her quietly. He wants to dismiss her in a way that still honors the law, but now he also wants to do it in a way that doesn't expose her disgracefully in public, which would have been okay if he would have decided to do it that way. So out of deep religious conviction, he is willing to follow the law. But then he has a predicament. He wants to do what's right, which means justice. And now he wants to incorporate to the meaning of justice, mercy. Because he wants to honor God who he loves. And he also loves deeply this person, his wife. So I want you to not overlook what, it, what it's like, how difficult it can be to have justice and mercy come together. And this was troubling for him. And this is what he came as the best gift he could possibly think of. It's well thought out. It's reasonable. He's still obeying the law. And he is trying to honor and keep her dignity in the eyes of everyone else. Certainly or clearly, a righteous man. And please, let's not oversimplify then that his plans are evident of he wanted to simply walk away or he was a coward. That would be miscontextualizing the text. The plan he comes up with could have serious repercussions for himself, too. He wants to protect her from death. He wants to protect her from being marginalized. So he's trying to be functional. He's trying to be practical. He's trying to give the right gift to Mary as an expression of kindness and mercy. And to do all that, I hope you can sense that it takes, right there already, it takes a whole lot of courage for this man to do this plan. It takes courage. It takes courage to be righteous no matter what. So after he's done through all that, all that planning, if you may recall how the, the text reads it, once he resolved to do this, then the messenger of God comes and surprises him with a whole new level of a need for courage and trust. He's already courageous, wouldn't you say? And now what the message of God implies and in indicates for him to do is only going to demand more courage from Joseph. Joseph himself receives a gift of truth and assurance and purpose, and he didn't expect that. In other words, it's almost like saying, Joseph, you think you're about to give the best gift. You think this is the most practical, functional, right gift, but it's not. We want to do the right thing. I believe all of us 
strive to do the right thing. We want to make a way for our loved ones. We want to help. We want to protect them. We want to protect our, our, uh, uh, a person we love, their dignity. We want to do what is right. We want to be blameless. We want to have justice and mercy. Hey, we want to wrap our kids in bubble wrap so no harm comes their way. We strive to want to give the right gift to our loved ones. Right? And I don't mean now just object. We strive to give the best of us and gift our peers and our loved ones the best gifts, the ones that really matter, which are not tangible usually, but are certainly life-given. And that has value, brothers and sisters and friends. That has value. But here's the thing. Joseph was a man of God and prepared the best he could and was ready to do something risky. And then God speaks and actually is asking for something even more difficult. And Joseph has to make a decision. And whatever may sound or seem and be confusing, he has to decide to take that confusion and be transformed to a commitment no matter what to God. And it's inviting him and it's inviting us that whatever is already courageous for you, whatever is already hard for you to give of yourself, what is it like to be so in tune with the Holy Spirit that what if one day it happens to you when God says, I would like for you to turn this way. I would like for you to do this thing. I would like for you to change this habit of yours. I would like for you to give this person the forgiveness you think you can't give or receive the forgiveness you think you're not deserving of. What about that gift that God says to you? I need you to take it to another different and higher level of commitment. And even while you're confused, you understand that the gift the real gift, the 100% best gift that we can give ourselves and the people we love is the one that honors God and we respond to God with how we do it every day. Are you that Joseph? Are we that kind of Joseph? When we look around in our children and we're ready and we're wrapping all the gifts, those are great gifts. Are we giving to one another the gift of Jesus? And since I'm talking now about incarnational matters, what does that mean? What does it mean to give Jesus away? Give forgiveness away. Give kindness away. Give compassion away. Give mercy away. Whatever it is that you can relate to right now this moment for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day in just about a week or so, do you want to have the commitment like Joseph? It's hard. 
But it's the greatest gift to give to the other. And Joseph gave the gift to Mary of life, of partnership, of devotion, of trust, did not compromise his honor and his loyalty and his devotion to his heavenly father. Did not compromise that. And did not dismiss Mary because he could have said, I don't think so. He honored God and he honored Mary. How much this Christmas, how much do we love God? How much do we love our loved ones? How much do we love our loved ones? How much we love God? It should be interchangeably. It should be a reflection of a divine love in your soul. That's the greatest gift you can give one another. That's the greatest gift you can give your children. That's the greatest gift you can give your spouse. Think of how you can do it creatively. If you have little children, unwrap all those. I don't, talk about the story. Give the gift of the story. There's a great event happening tonight or Monday night or Tuesday night. And then after that, take them for ice cream or something so you can talk about with your spouse, with your boyfriend, with your girlfriend. It doesn't matter, but talk about the experience of walking through Bethlehem. I was struck by seeing the, the beautiful baby both nights, but, but my first night was so like, oh, because my first time seeing all of this. And what is it like for me to imagine holding a baby and that's my savior? My savior came as a baby. What? It's, it's a sense of selflessness. So like a vacuum, like a savings book account. When we don't include in our list of gifts the greatest gift of Jesus, it's kind of like giving a vacuum. It comes short. It's good. It's functional. But it comes short. Give all those things and make sure that we are committed to one another particularly to the people you love the most, to give the way Joseph gave to God and to his beloved Mary. So I finish with this. In troubling times, will you allow God to make a way? In troubling times, Will you trust? In confusing times, will you commit to God? And may that be the way that you wrap your gifts and you give Jesus away. For Jesus is in your heart.